This is the Warm Springs program on KWSO. The COVID-19 pandemic continues here in Warm Springs, around the country, and around the world. And because of that, we all have a little more understanding about the science of tracking cases of not just coronavirus, but of any disease. My name is Thomas Weiser. I'm a medical epidemiologist for the Portland Area Indian Health Service. I've been um, in this position since 2007. Prior to that, I spent two years working for CDC as an Epidemic Intelligence Service Officer. And prior to that, I spent seven years working as a medical officer at the White River Service Unit on the White Mountain Apache Reservation in Arizona. And um, I'm a board-certified family physician, family medicine, and also have my MPH, um, Master's in Public Health, focusing on infectious disease epidemiology. Um, Prior to COVID, I was involved in a number of activities um, uh, with the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board, which is where my office is located, even though I'm employed by Indian Health Service. And um, among the things that I would work on uh, normally before COVID um, was immunizations, um, and particularly pediatric immunizations, but immunizations across the lifespan as well as uh, addressing the opioid epidemic and um, other issues related to epidemiology and data, um, trying to improve the quality of the data that we have in the Northwest for our tribes. Another uh, activity that I've been involved with for um, the past eight years has been uh, mentoring CDC-assigned Epidemic Intelligence Service officers. And I'm happy to say that we have our fourth EIS officer who just began his time with us in July. So um, we're excited to be able to have that opportunity to help train someone to be an epidemiologist and also be able to have additional help as we um, try to stamp out this pandemic. Dr. Weiser explains epidemiology. So prior to COVID, if somebody asked me what you do and I told them I was an epidemiologist, they would get me confused to be a skin doctor. Um, but now everybody knows about epidemiology, and there are a lot of armchair epidemiologists out there now who are looking at the data every day and making uh, conclusions and um, making advice. It's kind of like watching people watching the Super Bowl. Um, but in, in short, epidemiology is the study of epidemics, and epidemics are when any kind of a disease, whether it's an infectious disease or a chronic disease, when any disease um, happens more often than is expected, then we might call that an epidemic. Sometimes it's a very small and localized, so we might call it just an outbreak of a disease. But an epidemic is when we're seeing more disease than we expected. And a good example that people might be familiar with is the opioid epidemic that was happening before COVID and actually has continued to occur um, even with COVID and has actually gotten worse over time. And so that the opioid epidemic is really characterized by a, a, a big increase in the numbers of people who are dying from opioid overdose. And um, we started to see this uh, in around 2010, 2012, and um, it began to peak in 2014 to 2016. And uh, there's a lot of work being done to address that, um, interventions to help keep people safe and also treatments to help people who are... Um, addicted to opioids. Um, but now with COVID, um, some of those access to those has, has 
been harder to get. And so we've seen an increase um, in opioid deaths off and on throughout the pandemic uh, year and a half. Portland area IHS medical epidemiologist Dr. Thomas Weiser talks about what IHS has seen on a national level. When COVID first hit, there might have been a sense that perhaps um, our reservations would be spared because they're more rurally located and that maybe this would be something that would only happen in big cities like New York City or Seattle or Los Angeles. But um, reality hit home early on in the pandemic um, when the first cases were identified, even in our um, tribal locations here in the Northwest. And so Indian Health Service did uh, begin to institute sort of the incident command system that we use for dealing with uh, emergencies, whether it's a natural disaster or a public health emergency, like an infectious disease epidemic. And that just meant that instead of um, focusing on a lot of our day-to-day activities, we were meeting daily to talk about COVID and to gather data and to make up, you know, to get plans together to deal with this. And one of the things that we instituted was a daily um, uh, data gathering of just the numbers of tests that were done and what the the number that were positive and the number that were negative. And that daily um, data has continued to flow um, from tribes and IHS sites to the area offices and also to the uh, Northwest Portland Area Health Board here in our area. And then from there, it flows to um, the IHS headquarters, and it's updated on their um, COVID-19 webpage on Mondays and Thursdays. And so the latest data that I'm looking at shows that across all of Indian country, um, we've um, administered over 3 million tests with uh, 251,605 positive tests. So altogether, that means 8.9% of the tests that we've done have been positive. And that's helpful information, but even more helpful is to look at the most recent seven-day activity. And so the seven-day rolling average of positive cases is 9.3%. And when we're um, trying to decide or trying to understand is the um, current surge of cases, is it getting better, is it getting worse, It's that seven-day rolling average positivity that helps us to see which direction we're going. So we'd like to see that uh, positivity rate get to less than 5%. That would help us to know that um, perhaps community transmission is is slowing down. For the Portland area right now, um, we've tested 158,879 individuals, and 10,922 of those tests have been positive. So the seven-day rolling average positivity to 11.4%, which is pretty high. And looking at Oregon data, um, particularly and data from the other states in the Northwest, it does look like perhaps uh, in this past week the number of new cases has started to come down slightly, but the hospitalizations and deaths we know will lag uh, significantly behind those numbers of new cases. Indian Health Service operates 13 hospitals directly, and there are uh, countless more um, that are operated by the tribes. And so we don't have really great data about hospitalization um, or deaths in any health service because that's not part of the the data that is regularly collected um, and easily gathered by uh, by Indian health service. Um, So I don't really have that particular information across IHS or even across the area. 
For Warm Springs, St. Charles Health System serves us and Central Oregon and updates their COVID-19 information at their website, stcharleshealthcare.org. Dr. Thomas Weiser talks about one way Warm Springs is tracking COVID cases in our community. One of the things that Warm Springs Tribe has done just recently, um, about the past month or so, um, has been to do wastewater surveillance testing. So we know when people have COVID-19, um, they can shed virus particles uh, when they use the bathroom, and uh, we can take a sample from the common uh, sewage effluent and look for uh, coronaviruses in that sewage. And there's a, a gradation about um, sort of how how much virus is able to be detected in the sample. And so there's sort of a low, medium, high gradient there um, that we can use to compare to the clinical test positivity from the clinics. And, um, and so this is really useful for those times when maybe people aren't coming into the clinic to get tested uh, because maybe uh, overall cases are going down, they're less concerned. And um, we can continue to monitor this wastewater to make sure that we understand is there community transmission of COVID or not happening um, by the burden of coronaviruses detected in the wastewater. So it's a new tool that um, that Warm Springs is the first tribe where with the federal um, IHS component that's instituted this. Um, There are other tribes that have been doing this also. And I think it's a really valuable tool going forward that um, is independent of whether or not people want to get tested or can get tested. Um, we can detect it in the wastewater, and that will really help us. Oregon State University has been working on the wastewater surveillance testing since last year for many communities in Oregon. OSU was trying to recruit communities. They got a couple of other tribes on board, one for sure that I know of. And uh, we've been uh, talking with both IHS uh, leadership there at Warm Springs and also with, uh, with the tribe. And um, it took a while uh, to get everything in place because you have to have a special equipment for getting the sample. And they want to make sure they had uh, staff who were trained to, to do that safely. So it's really been only about the past uh, uh, six to eight weeks that they've been collecting samples. And so those samples are sent to OSU. The testing is actually done at OSU. And then the results are given back to the tribe. And OSU, for some of the communities, they're posting data on a website. Um, but I think for the tribes, um, they are respecting the tribes' wishes on whether or not they want to post that data um, publicly. And but they are sharing it back with the tribe. And um, what we've seen, I think I saw results of four tests so far, and it did show an increase over the past uh, eight weeks or so that they've been collecting the data. So an increase in the concentration of virus in the sample. And that suggests an increase in community transmission. And it, um, it mirrors what we're seeing clinically with, uh, with the daily testing uh, results that we get. With the recent spike in the number of COVID-19 cases in Warm Springs, it's important to remember that there are things you can do to prevent the spread of coronavirus. You can wear a face mask, maintain six feet of distance from anyone you don't live with, and get vaccinated. We know that the vaccine efficacy prior to the Delta surge um, and from the studies that had been done, looked to be around 95 to 97% effective in preventing hospitalization and severe illness and death from um, coronavirus. 
And that was for both the Moderna vaccine and for the, the Pfizer vaccine. <clears throat> and it was a little bit lower for the, um, for the Janssen or Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Um, but the CDC um, published interim estimates of COVID-19 vaccine effectiveness just recently on September 17th in the MMWR. And um, this publication demonstrated that vaccine effectiveness against hospitalization um, was higher for Moderna, it was 95%, than it was for Pfizer, which was 80%, and Janssen or Johnson & Johnson vaccine was 60%, and that's across all ages. They also showed that uh, vaccine effectiveness was lower for older age groups. And then for protection against emergency department or urgent care vis visits, um, the vaccine effectiveness was a little bit lower, and the estimate for Moderna was 92%. For Pfizer, it was 77%, and for Janssen, um, it was 65%. So that's consistent with what we've um, <clears throat> been looking at all along. It's a little bit lower, um, but we don't know whether that's due to decreased effectiveness against the Delta surge, the Delta variant, or whether it's due to waning uh, because people, many people got their vaccine six months or longer ago. Um, so data that was presented to um, the FDA and the CDC recently around the need for booster doses suggests that there is um, significant waning, particularly for the Pfizer vaccine. That's the data that was presented. Um, <clears throat> and it shows that there is some waning of uh, the antibody response to that vaccine um, beginning at about six months after the, the primary series. So that's part of the rationale around uh, boosters. We've only seen that data submitted to FDA and CDC with regards to the Pfizer vaccine, and we're waiting for that data to be submitted for Moderna and Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine as well. We suspect that the same um, thing does occur, uh, but we just don't know if it occurs at the same timeline um, or whether it occurs faster or slower or more significantly for those two vaccines. In Warm Springs, most people have received the Moderna vaccine for COVID-19. So as Dr. Weiser explained, that third dose is not yet approved. But for those who got the Pfizer shot, you will be able to get the third booster dose from Warm Springs IHS. Dr. Weiser explains that viruses will always mutate and evolve to survive, and that could impact effectiveness of vaccines. So one of the things that the viruses need to mutate is they need susceptible hosts. So people who are not immune to the virus get infected so that the virus can then, um, as it rep replicates, as it reproduces itself within that host, um, the chance that there could be a mutation that arises that gives it an advantage, that's how mutations happen. And um, if that mutation has properties that makes it um, better than the wild type or the previous uh, version of the virus that was, that was in circulation, then that mutation could gain a foothold and, um, and cause uh, disease to happen. So, um, you know, among the things that, uh, the mutations that occur, a mutation could make a virus more transmissible or easier to catch. And that's certainly true of the Delta variant. It's more transmissible. Um, it uh, seems to reproduce at a higher rate in the, in the nasal um, mucosa. 
And so that's one of the advantages that it has. So it, it replicates faster in the nose. And then because it's in the nose, it can easily be transmitted faster um, in that way. It doesn't necessarily need to replicate in the whole body to, um, to then be transmitted um, to other people. And so that's, that's just one example of how mutations can occur. Mutations can also make the virus more virulent or more, cause more severe disease. And if you recall the SARS-1 virus that happened um, back in uh, the early uh, 2000s, um, that that virus was a coronavirus, but it was more virulent and caused um, a much higher uh, case fatality rate. About, if I remember correctly, between 30 to 50 percent of cases died, and that's much higher than what we're seeing with the current uh, SARS-CoV-2 um, virus. So. Um, a virus that becomes more virulent is actually at a disadvantage because if the virus kills its host, then it decreases the likelihood that it's going to get transmitted to other people. Likewise, if the virus causes um, more symptoms in people earlier on, that's going to decrease transmission because a person will know that they're sick and they will either, if they feel sick, they'll stay home because they're too sick to go out. Or if they feel sick, they'll take precautions like wearing a mask and staying away from other people. One of the um, uh, problems with this SARS-CoV-2 virus, the current coronavirus, is the asymptomatic period. So people can have the infection, not feel sick at all, and then that allows the virus to be spread to other people, um, kind of uh, like a secret bomb almost. It, it just sneaks around and transmits in communities because people don't realize they have it. And sometimes it gives people a false sense of security. If so many people have asymptomatic disease, then, hey, COVID isn't a big deal, right? But we know that that's not true either because some people have really severe disease and some people need to be hospitalized. And we've seen the death toll from coronavirus. And uh, a study released um, earlier this year showed that there was an increase in the all-cause mortality, which is related to the coronavirus um, in the United States last year. So we know that this is having a, a big impact, much bigger than any flu season we've ever seen. Um, and so it's, it is really serious, even though a lot of people have asymptomatic disease and they don't get very sick. Our recent spike in COVID-19 cases has seen quite a few people who are fully vaccinated test positive. So the first thing to understand is, you know, how severe are these breakthrough cases and does the vaccine work? Um, so it's important to distinguish between all breakthrough infections, even mild or asymptomatic disease, and breakthrough infections that lead to severe illness that we define as hospitalization or death. So the CDC also published another article on the same day, September 17th, um, where they showed that the, since Delta became the predominant variant, unvaccinated people had five times the risk for becoming infected and more than 10 times the risk to be hospitalized or to die from COVID-19 infection. So I push back a little bit on saying, you know, that we have so many breakthrough cases that maybe the vaccine doesn't work. That's not the case at all. We've been starting to look at breakthrough cases in our region among our um, six uh, federal sites. And um, we're still analyzing this data, but it looks like the, the, the percent of those who are fully vaccinated and have developed 
COVID-19 infection, either mild or severe, is less than 2% across the board. Um, so that means that 98% of the people who were vaccinated have not developed COVID-19, and only about 2% or fewer have actually had a breakthrough infection. So that's important to understand. So the vaccine is really helping to protect people. And a couple things from the article I just mentioned. So the incidence of SARS-CoV-2 infection, hospitalization death, is higher in the unvaccinated than in vaccinated persons. And the incidence rate ratios are related to vaccine effectiveness. So the more effective the vaccine, um, the better those rate ratios will be for infected people. Across 13 U.S. jurisdictions, incidence rate ratios for hospitalization and deaths changed relatively little after the Delta variant reached predominance. So that means that the vaccines are really effective even against the Delta variant. And then finally, getting vaccinated protects against severe illness from COVID-19, including again, um, uh, infection with the Delta variant. And that by monitoring COVID-19 incidents uh, by vaccination status, that might prove, provide early signals of potential changes in vaccine effectiveness that can be confirmed through controlled studies. So uh, we continue to monitor the data on a regular basis, but in order to really uh, drill down and determine whether or not vaccine effectiveness is changing, that takes a lot more uh, detailed data analysis than we're doing um, just on the fly, so to speak. Dr. Weiser says vaccination is still the main thing people can do to protect from COVID-19 and that the breakthrough cases need to be looked at carefully. What people should be doing right now to help protect them Number one is to get vaccinated. The vaccines are, are effective and they're safe, and um, we have a good supply of vaccines. We're really fortunate in this country that we have a good supply of vaccines. There are people in other countries across the globe who would love to have access to the vaccines that we have. Um, <clears throat> and in Indian country, I think we've had a really good rollout of, of the vaccines in partnership with IHS and the tribes and the states. Um, and if you look at the CDC data, they still show that American Indian Alaska Native is uh, the most vaccinated uh, uh, population of any uh, race or ethnicity um, in the country. And so that uh, is a really good testimony to both the uh, effectiveness of the rollout of the vaccine in Indian country, but also I think maybe the trust uh, that people have given us um, for those vaccines. So vaccination is the number one um, recommendation I have to protect against Delta variant. Um, and then the second thing I would say is that for those who are fully vaccinated, you still want to be cautious. Um, so that means if you are going indoors in any indoors public setting, you should wear a mask and um, that you should you know, limit travel, limit interactions, limit um, your uh, attendance to um, large gatherings, um, where there are a lot of people who you don't know if they're vaccinated or not. Um, and then uh, for those who are unvaccinated, it's really imperative that they wear masks uh, at all times, whether they're um, at a small gathering indoors or a large gathering indoors. Um, and then the other things that everyone should do um, is avoid uh, close contact with people that aren't part of your immediate household or your bubble. And, um, and wash your hands frequently. We know that that helps to decrease transmission as well as we, we all um, can come in contact with contaminated surfaces and then touch our face or our nose. 
and that's how um, respiratory viruses are often spread. So those are the main things. And, you know, some of those things haven't changed um, throughout the pandemic. We really uh, do need to be paying careful attention to mask wearing, uh, physical distancing, and keeping our hands washed regularly. That's Portland area IHS medical epidemiologist, Dr. Thomas Weiser. On the Warm Springs program, I'm Sue Matters for 91.9 FM, KWSO.